Hello everyone and welcome to LifeWealth's podcast. Uh, my name is Jason Howard, CEO of LifeWealth and joining me today as always is James Vandaloo, head of LifeWealth's investment committee. Hello James. Hi Jason, how are we? Very well indeed. Uh, again, really nice to be in the office, isn't it? It is nice to uh, nice to be and it's getting busier here in Melbourne, which is which is good. The the vibe is starting to uh, Starting to return. It's, uh, you know, things you took for granted before are just so noticeable now. There's just so many more people on the streets. The trains are uh, packed again, which is, you know, not necessarily something to look forward to, but it's very noticeable. It sure is. And uh, we can get a coffee from most of the places we'd like to, which is uh, a pleasant surprise from a couple of, couple of weeks ago. Keeps the world moving, doesn't it? That's right. Okay, so let, let's jump straight in. Uh, lots to talk about, of course, there always is, but uh, particularly at the moment. Um, why don't we start with the budget straight away because obviously that was last week. Um, we haven't seen any updates out to this point and, and there's probably a key reason for that, which uh, you know I know you want to talk about. Yeah, it, nothing happened. <laughs> I guess that's good from one perspective is uh, there's plenty of stability. There's not radical change. Um, that makes planning easy. So there's a few minor things that are helpful around the edges, but um, I think the last two budgets have been really, really boring, and there hasn't been massive change. Yeah, is there any changes you did want to you, or sort of, I guess, put light on? Yeah, there's a couple of things that I thought are useful for our clients. I always in, in an environment like this where it's a general chat. Um, you know, what are the things that probably are likely to affect most people? Um, Downsizer eligibility for putting extra money into superannuation. Mm-hmm. Uh, people may recall, if you've owned your principal residence for more than 15 years, so the family home, um, and you sold it, uh, regardless if you really downsized or not, you are eligible to put an additional $300,000 per person. So if it's a couple that owns a home, that's $300,000 each into superannuation. And that would be over and above the traditional caps. And um, eligibility for that scheme was at age 65. They've reduced that down to age 60. Mm -hmm. So for some of our clients who are starting to think about retirement planning and restructure, I think that one's really relevant and and can be a a nice little win. So that was probably the one that stood out the most to me. Um, There was a few others though, uh, employee employee share schemes for private companies like ours, um, making that a little bit easier, a little bit less red tape and more tax efficient for staff, so I think that one's a that one's a positive, mm-hmm. and I think there was a few other few other little things that you didn't mind as a uh, as a CEO that you thought would be handy, definitely in our business. So it was probably relevant to a lot of our clients' businesses also. Yeah, without doubt. I mean, the one that stands out, which I which I really like, is um, increased deductibility for you know training and development and things like that. So so that was good. So there was some IT elements as well, increased deductibility. Um, so they were mm. all they were all good. Um, the I think that was when we're right in saying it was announced before before the budget uh, work test, easing of work test. Yep, work test has gotten easier, and then of course the other thing that um, changes, which was already legislated, is SG goes up to ten point five percent at um, one July twenty twenty two. So a few little things around the margin that are that are okay. Um, there was nothing really nasty in there. But uh, we're sort of not running to the financial plan models and recalibrating no. um, things based on what came out. It was pretty much a business as usual budget. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, obviously some one-offs and things like that, which then leads to you know what is the really big thing domestically on the horizon, and it wasn't the budget; it's the election. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, they had to be careful to uh, not uh, look like they were pork barreling before an election, particularly when inflation's a little bit 
elevated because then they would have got the pile on of, oh, you're giving out free money. There's already um, costs rising. It's just mm. going to exasperate the problem. So they probably did a good job of not being too controversial. And it's, you know, the, the circus has moved on from it pretty quickly. Yeah, and I think some of the things that I've, I've you know, come across from different analysts and, and economists and commentary was that, um, you know, the forecasts, whilst optimistic, probably weren't as pessimistic as they've been in the past. Now, obviously, that's around COVID and a whole heap of other things, but there was, whilst, whilst there was a feeling that, you know, some of the outlooks for the economy were, in inverted commas, rosy, mm-hmm. there was no one saying, geez, we're about to plow a whole heap of dollars into the economy that's going to cause inflation challenges. Uh, correct. Yeah. Um, there was some pretty big growth numbers rolled in there. I, mm. I think they might prove to be a little optimistic. 4.25 was the one that sort of was the, the headline, I think. Yeah. I, uh, I think we might have to wait and see if that, uh, that comes to pass. I think that might be a little bit ambitious. Yeah. And look, we are definitely going to talk about inflation and interest rates as we, as we get into this because they are, they are some pretty key considerations for us at the moment. Um, you know, there was a real positivity around the unemployment rate falling below four, which is, well, generational. Mm-hmm. Um, and whilst the government and Treasury have missed on wage growth numbers in the past, they've talked about them being, you know, improving and all those sorts of things that have missed consistently on that, on their predictions. You'd have to suggest that there's a, a real chance that they will be right on that this time because of inflation, um, unemployment rate below 4%, etc. Yeah, and I saw a perfect example of that uh, yesterday with uh, healthcare workers in New South Wales protesting. They they weren't happy with the uh, uh, the award wage rise and uh, they're going to try and get a little more and I think they will mm. and that's an example of that. So I, I do think we do get a little bit of extra wage growth given um, unemployment is so low. Also the fact that although the borders are starting to reopen, uh, foreign labour is still very scarce. Yes. So um, that, that inflation pressure is building. Well, for, for people in Victoria and Melbourne in particular, if you've been to the MCG recently, you'll realise just how hard it is to find staff at the moment. The MCG mm-hmm. are running at something like they were 400 staff light and they can't open up all the, all the uh, hospitality in the, in, in the G. So that's a, a real-world example of something that's uh, very different this year than it has been in the past. Exactly right. And I'm hearing that from clients. You know, we've got quite a few clients that run quite serious hospitality operations. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's really tough, really yeah. tough for them with staff. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, okay, so that's uh, budget me- uh, measures. I mean, the the, the challenge of uh, recording this podcast, and you know, it takes a little while to edit it and, uh, and put it to air. We're talking about uh, and publishing. We're, we're talking about the election of you know about to be called. Uh, the reality is, by the time we get this edited and uh, published, it could actually be called. It could it's be. imminent at any moment. So, um, yeah, and we'll, it's going to be an interesting time over the next month or so. Mm. Yep. Um, let's move on from budget and, and, and probably domestic matters just for a moment. Um, uh, look, clearly there is a lot going on in the world at the moment. We say that all the time and, and, and we're actually going to talk about the fact that we say that all the time as everybody does. Um, Ukraine's obviously dominating the news cycle at the moment quite rightly. Um, you know, the, the human toll, the human cost and, and, and the issues that are taking place there, you know, war crimes and the like. Obviously, we're not going to talk about that now because that's not that's not for us. Um, what we're going to talk about is you know the impact on the outlook for markets and economies um, and and portfolios. Um, so we're going to stay focused in on that. So 
you know, we talked before coming on in, in, in preparation around, you know, there's this, there's, there's real world geopolitical risk. You know, and there's real world economic risk from Ukraine. Um, and so the impact on Europe, um, the impact on markets, currencies, supply, a whole heap of things. But as we've talked on this podcast before, signal and noise. Yeah, that risk is real. Mm-hmm. But before Ukraine, there were other risks. Yeah, there were other um, major issues taking, uh, you know, major events happening that were causing us risk in the outlook period. So they are real, but we have to temper that with understanding that we live through these times often. That's correct. And um, the first thing I'll say when we talk about Russia and Ukraine is if we rewind and, and have a listen to the podcast of six weeks ago, how wrong uh, my yeah. thoughts were. I, uh, I think I went well. on the record of saying, oh, I did think Putin would get what he wanted. Oh, I, I didn't think they'd be shooting missiles and, and killing civilians. Mm, so um, that's escalated you know, quite nastily, which is horrible if you're, if you're living through it. Mm. And um, he's pretty deep in now. So it's, uh, it's not easy to, uh, to get out of that situation without, without losing face. So unfortunately, it's probably going to drag on for some time and, and the human toll is going to be, uh, going to be very, 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 very sad. Yeah, there's no obvious pathway out, is there? No. So um, I think it's going to be with us for some time, unfortunately. It is, you know, we, we, we read similar people, I guess. Um, but even his, historically, uh, yeah, there's no doubt we got it wrong. We certainly weren't on our own as well. And that's not to defend the fact we got it wrong because mm. we got it wrong. Um, there is a lot of inverted commas experts who got it wrong uh, from academia to, to you know, mm. military analysts. So yeah. um, it's been an amazing turn of events mm. and uh, it feels like there was this whole, whole feeling for 99% of people that there's no way Putin would actually invade. Mm. Putin invaded. He's, in, he's invaded. So I guess one way we can look at this is say, you know, people are saying, well, this is a risk. Well, what are those risks? And just try and, and, and break, it, break it out a little bit. So, you know, some people say the risk of World War Three. Obviously, that risk is escalated because you've got, um, you've got big machines and bombs going off and, and, you know, one mistake can escalate things really quickly. So clearly the risk of a World War Three has gone up a lot from mm. what it was Three months ago, it's like the old uh, was it the midnight clock during the the, the Cold War. The Cold War. Mm. So, so absolutely, that risk is elevated. I still think the probability of it really is escalating into a, a wider European conflict is is pretty low. So, it's not something I'm losing too much sleep about. Um, what I do think about are things like. If Russia gets their way, they're, they're almost trying to drop another iron curtain, um, which as the world over the last 20 years since the fall of the Berlin Wall um, has worked together, um, that's actually coming apart. So mm. deglobalization is um, a real risk here and mm. the world dividing into a few blocks. Now, that's not great for supply chains and moving goods around cheaply. So. Yeah. Efficiencies that have been gained in the last 20, 25 years could be reversed. When you've already got some problems with inflation, that just exasperates those problems and makes things uh, trickier. And it's not to say that uh, they can't be resolved, 
but it's not flick a switch and supply chains get recalibrated. You know, factories can be built, gas can be sourced from somewhere else, but th- those things take years, not not months. Yeah. So um, the risk of deglobalization is it it makes a, a situation where the world was already in a tricky place because of COVID more tricky and takes longer to resolve. So that's um, the biggest one. Um, Clearly, the, the thing that's on anyone's mind is energy, right? Mm. You know, Europe's um, reliance on Russia for uh, for for gas. Um, and you've seen the price of oil and gas spike. Mm. Um, so, again, when we've already had an inflation problem, it's exasperating a, a problem. Yep. And it's such a difficult area, um, this whole oil and gas we know the world wants to pivot and wants to be greener, mm-hmm. um, but the truth is we can be as good as we want. It, it can't right now. It's not, it's not possible. Um, but businesses are commercial. They, they're investing with a 20-year time frame. So even though we need oil and gas in the next five years, it doesn't make a lot of sense for companies to invest because they're long paybacks. So there has been a lack of investment in the energy patch, right? And if we think it was only 18 months ago that we were awash with oil and you couldn't store it anywhere and you actually had to pay people, there was a negative price yep. to take it because you couldn't store mm. it. Mm. So we've gone from negative to over $100 a barrel really, really quickly. Mm. Um, that's not a prediction of what's gonna happen in the future, but it's very inelastic and that's not gonna go away. Um, so this is going to be a headache, even if this conflict gets resolved, for probably the next five years until the world does a better job on mm. working out. You know, even people say, "Hey, we should all go electric." Well, you can't go electric. The whole infrastructure and the grid of the way Melbourne is built would have to change if we're all going to plug our car in at home. Mm. It can't be done. Mm. Um, so it can't be done is not the right phase, can't but it will take. That years mm. for that infrastructure to actually um, to happen. So unfortunately, um, inflation that's been a bit of a problem, particularly in the US, it, it, it's gonna take longer to resolve than we hoped because of what's happened in Russia and Ukraine. Yeah, uh, I think that's a great summary of a whole heap of things. Um, uh, you know, you're talking about oil being $100 a barrel. I remember sitting in these, uh, a podcast previously and talking about how low a barrel of oil had got yeah, in, in a price point. I mean, what was his low point? It was negative. Uh, it was negative. Yeah. yeah. Not not negative in the physical in markets, terms, but in, yeah. in futures markets. Yeah. Yeah. You had to pay someone to take away the contract that you'd, you'd, you'd gotten into because we ran out of storage right. um, when there was no demand during COVID. Mm. Yeah. Um, I also I, I also saw today that uh, as it stands today, talking about taking a, a good period of time to unwind things, um, Europe currently is buying more energy from Russia than they were on uh, February the twenty third. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. And so, sorry, um, you see that in the ruble. Yeah, which, exactly right. We were going to talk about the ruble. So, so you know, talking about signal and noise, um, and and these things are real risks. I'm going to talk about some others that have happened over in in, in recent memory. There are still fundamentals underpinning the value of resources, underpinning the value of property, underpinning the value of of, of businesses and and therefore shares. Um, um, but you know those prices on markets go up and down 
due to, as is well known, irrationality, fear and greed. That's what drives the market, not necessarily fundamentals. Yeah, f- fear and greed and outlook in the short term. So mm. in probably the last seven years, if most of our clients looked at their investment portfolios, their US shares would have outperformed their Australian shares. Mm. So those growth stocks, the tech stocks, really drove performance a lot. Um, now, over the last, call it six months, uh, that's really reversed. So um, that's gotten less popular, and that's because there's been a view that interest rates will rise, so the discount rates used to value those long-duration assets will um, will come in, and money has switched back to places like Australia where there's commodities and real assets and heavy financials with higher dividend yields. Mm. So um, that's the way it's cyclically moved in the short term. Um, I think if I was a betting man, I would probably say that trend will continue for the next six months. Um, But at some point it will swing back again. Um, uh, The hard part of being an investor is what's your timeframe? You know, but that's also a cycle that we've seen in the last 10 years, in the last 12 years. Exactly right. Because hand on heart, I think probably over five years from today, that growth will still outperform that value trade. Mm. But if you want to mark me on six months, I think the value will win. So sure. um, that's the tricky part of portfolio construction. Yeah. Um, and and so let's let's drop back a little bit to, to talking about um, you know Ukraine. And that is real risk, but that's the current the current risk. Um, you know, we're still living in the after aftershocks of a global pandemic. It's almost like just par for the course now, but just over two years ago, we didn't have a global pandemic. Yeah, so we're living in the aftershocks of that, and that's been real risk for the last two years. I just think in the current world, cycles are faster. You know, when I, when I was going to school and learning about um, this game and market cycles, they said the cycles, the average cycle is seven years, you Mm. know, and um, Mm. you roll around and you get seven year cycles. I think we're going to see a full cycle in two and a half years. So, Mm. you know, I was talking to a client the other day and they said, oh, we've had it so good for so long. Um, And I kind of said, are you kidding me? You know, I I remember being physically ill in my garden two years ago Mm. as um, COVID was breaking credit markets and trust in the financial system. Markets, March thirteenth, twenty twenty was not a good day. Hey, you know, markets dropped forty percent in was a few weeks. Mm. So, um, and we were in a deep, deep recession. That's two years ago. Mm. Um, uh, we're just about finished the whole recovery cycle. And mm. um, my view might be a little bit controversial, but I think Europe um, will be in recession by the end of twenty twenty two, and I think. There's a decent probability the US will be in recession late 2022, early 2023. So um, that's talking about two and a half year, three year, full cycle, recession yep. to recession. Yep. Uh, it's a fast moving world. Yep. And, and another, and we, we are going to cover off the recession as we talk about inflation and interest rates. You know, you touched on the rule before. Another example of at a, at a, a singular level, um, we all know the ruble got 
demolished when they went to Ukraine. And that first two or three weeks of the ruble was just going backwards and backwards and backwards. It's now up to a higher rate than what it was it was before we started. And, and, and they're mired in conflict. The and sanctions are getting stronger and stronger as every week goes yeah. by, and yet the rubles come back yeah. to the value it was prior to. And, and if you believe the reports um, on cable TV, the, the war effort isn't going that great for the Russians, but no. yeah, their currency strengthened. Yeah. So uh, that's probably not a bet most people would have made no, exactly right. three weeks ago. Exactly right. So, so you know, I just wanted to take that as a as sort of um, a reminder of what we've lived through in recent times, Hmm. you know, so COVID for the last two years, um, but a global pandemic, I think actually adds heft to that, talking about as a global pandemic, you haven't had one of them for a long period of time. You know, uh, that crossed over with the Trump administration and just Hmm. the uncertainty that created domestically in the US, clearly Hmm. globally, and the potential to unpin institutions, um, global institutions that have kept the peace for a long period of time. And there's been any number of stories and commentary saying that, Putin really wanted Trump to win because that was going to give him a stronger position to un- yeah. uh, dismantle and you know throw down dismantle institutions and throw down that iron curtain. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, that overlapped with North Korea. That was the great fear of uh, geopolitically about security. Um, prior to that, it was Iran and its predicted global threat. Mm. Brexit. The Brexit referendum was only six years ago. Oh, that. <laughs> yeah, and you know, in 2022, we've had some relative stability in Australia from a from a prime minister level. The last three years, we, we've had five prime ministers in nine years, which must have then been five in six. Yeah, um, these things are real; they are risks. Mm. But the human condition, we get over them, we get used to them pretty quickly, and we just put them behind us and we roll on to the next thing, which is what you talked about before about we've had it so good for so long. We have, if you look over. A long period of time mm. when all the ups and downs get but, smoothed out. But yeah, li- living through it, uh, the future is never certain, and uh, we're in one of those periods at the moment um, where I think we're at a bit of an inflection point, and it you know it generally isn't certain, mm. uh, but the human spirit finds a way. Absolutely, absolutely, find a way, and I I bet your quality of life will be better ten years from now than it is today. I agree with you, but even as you said that, I kind of went. Yeah, I really hope so. <laughs> um, so, so we talked about fundamentals before, the things that, that um, come out of these risks. Uh, and the two obvious ones right now, and they're clearly linked, are inflation, current inflation, the outlook for inflation, and interest rates and the outlook for interest rates. Um, clearly, inflation is a global concern right now. Yes. The question, as we've talked about in a previous podcast, is, is it transitory? Mm-hmm. Is it not? And what do the answers to those questions mean for us? Yeah, so, um, and I'm on the record of this as saying I thought it would be transitory. Um, I still do, but I think factors that are going on overseas are really, they're really extending it. And and the reality is the Fed's going to be forced to act, right? And I might just quickly jump in there and say your, your opinion is in line with the budget papers. The budget papers suggest that inflation is transitory. Correct. Yep. So does um, you know the US Federal Reserve. So I'm not trying to be controversial um, with, with that. Um, so I th- still think inflation will be broken. Unfortunately, uh, because it's been more stubborn and now you've got global factors sort of piling on, I think the only way they're going to get on top of it and, and break it 
is by reducing demand. Mm-hmm. Um, reducing demand means they're going to tighten monetary policy. Yep. Um, Increase interest rates. So interest rates as well as quantitative tightening of, mm-hmm. uh, of the, the Fed's balance sheet, right? Yep. Uh, they're going to suck liquidity out of the system. Um, now, if I think of that intuitively, um, I think that should be bad for financial markets. Mm-hmm. Now, it's no secret that it's happened. They've already started raising rates and, and they've flagged this really, really well. The US stock market, and, and I'm talking about the market in general here, yeah. right? So if you look at sectors, those growthy stocks have been hit worse and the value and commodity stocks have held up, but the market is off less than 10%. Mm. Um, that's not tight enough financial conditions to make people change behavior in, in my view. Yep. And um, rates have gone up a little bit. Um, unfortunately, there's more to go for them to break the back of inflation. Um, but I see indicators already telling me demand is slowing. And that's why I said earlier, I think we're in trouble. Um, I think the Fed's tightening um, will slow the economy too much and they'll probably tip over and, and go into recession. I don't think it's going to be a bad recession. Mm. Um, it's just hard to um, tighten and get it perfect and stop it in the sweet spot, right? Mm. Um, that's how most, in, unless there's a shock, that's how most recessions occur. And I don't think this will be any any different. So, you know, why would I say that? Um, so the US home loan system is different to ours, mm-hmm. right? And when you when you buy a home, it's not it's not variable like here, it's fixed. Um, rates have been really, really low for years. If you went to buy a house in the US this week, you'd be paying nearly five mm. on your home loan. That's a that's a much higher number than we've had in the last five years. Again, I'm smiling as you say that though. Almost any time in the last 30 years, you would have That's gone fine. five. Fantastic. But yep. now it's 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 going to cause some stress. So um, so the housing market is slowing. Mm. Um, wages growth with the US hasn't had. Um, looks to me like it's slowing too. So I think it's probably peaked. So I actually think inflation has already peaked um, and it's going to start rolling over, but they've still got to go through with the tightening. Yep. So I think... I think Unfortunately, they'll tighten a little bit too much. Um, so rates have to go up a little bit. Mm-hmm. In the context of history, as you said, it's still not that bad, right? If, if and I guess I'm very US centric because it's uh, the center of the financial universe, but let's look at another measure. Let's look at the German 10-year bond yield, mm-hmm. right? Um, the German 10-year bond yield has gone up a lot um, in the last few months. People are freaking out. Yep. Do you know what the 10-year German Bund yield actually is? I know it's low. Yeah, it's about 0.65%, yep. right? It's been negative for probably the last four or five years. Mm. And if you looked at it at you know a 10-year chart, it was probably 2.7 10 years ago. So 0.6 and people are panicking. Um, you know, maybe rates go up half a percent higher um, on on those long-term yields. So that's a big lift relative to where they were. But in the context of history, I don't think it's massive. And unfortunately, if I'm right, and the tightening slows things too fast, the year later, they'll be dropping again. I was just going to say, I was just going to say that to you because we, we were going to get to that. So let's touch on that in a moment. Just yeah. before we do, so just remember, we're going to come back to the outlook for rates dropping. Yeah. Um, the, the other major change has been the 
uh, Reserve Bank in Australia commentary around interest rates. We've been talking for a while, which is well documented about the Reserve Bank. The commentary has been, won't be tightening in 22. If it is 23, it'll be late in the year. And they've just been hitting that and hitting that and hitting that. Mm. It's now looking very likely after the commentary this week that they'll be uh, lifting rates in June. Yeah, I think they're going to have to. Yeah. Right. So, so it's going to happen. Um, but I think they'll have to be slow and steady here. I think Australia can avoid recession, by the mm-hmm. way. I'm saying I think Europe definitely, unfortunately, because of the links with Russia of and course. Ukraine. Yep. I think the US, because their inflation is much more acute than anywhere else, they have to go a little bit harder on the tightening. So that's what will probably do them in. Not that the businesses are struggling, but it'll just suck a little bit too much demand out of it. And I think Australia is probably in a bit of a sweet spot, given mm. we're a commodity and, and financials country. So I'm not as bearish on that outlook for Australia. And you're seeing that the Australian market, as well as Brazil and um, a lot of the Latin markets that are strong commodity exporters like Canada, they've outperformed Europe and the US comfortably over this last short period of time. So I think that'll that'll continue. So yes, rates go up a little bit here, but if they go too hard, they'll break it. They'll break us too. Yeah, so. I think that's right. And I, my sense is from the commentary that they mm. are taking a softly, softly approach as best they can. Yeah. Whereas the the, the Fed's commentaries had to be a bit more hawkish because of what's been happening. Well, well they are, but the but the the bizarre thing about US, so so we have these cool things called blue berm screens where we can have a look and, and see what the market thinks um, future. Fed funds rate will be. 12 months from now, um, they're predicting the US rate is about 3.2. So that's about 2.73% higher than it is today. So 3% nearly of hikes in succession. And so we've only just started the tightening cycle. The year after, they're expecting rates to come down by 1%. And, I've and never seen that in my career. Well, I was just going to say, so that's, that's well, they're already the, pricing in the cuts. So it's the yield curve inversion, yeah? And everyone tends to get really excited. Perhaps not mm. everyone listening to this uh, podcast, quite rightly. But people <laughs> people in in the sphere get yeah. really excited about yield curve inversion because it's kind of like, oh, there's a yield curve inversion. That's not meant to happen. Yeah. Um, and that's what you're talking about there. Uh, yeah. You know, the outlook for rates is lower. Correct. And um, so, you know, again, my job's to help investors build portfolio and build strategy. So am I building it on a six month view of of what's happening in um, with the tightening? Or do we take a medium term view and say, you know what, rates are still going to be relatively low. The market's pricing them to come back. At some point in the next five years, they'll probably be zero again. Um, so your growth assets, as long as they're high quality and they actually deliver on that growth forecast, uh, at some point in the future, they'll be priced well again to make a good profit or do you try and be short term? And it, you know, it's, it, it's really hard. It's client by client, but um, you know, short term predictions are hard. Longer term predictions, they're hard too, but they're a little bit easier. You get, you get broader parameters. That's right. Yeah. But, but the summary of all that is, um, what matters? Quality mm. and fundamentals. Mm. Yeah, whether that be fund managers, assets, economies, qualities, quality and fundamentals matter. And that goes back to the sing- signal and noise piece. That's I- exactly right. So quality matters, fundamentals matter, price matters. Um, of course, yep. 
But, um, you know, you can't be right all the time. But if you give yourself enough margin of safety, um, hopefully there'll be, a, there'll be a point in the future where we can take advantage of that, even if it goes against you for a little while. For sure. Yep. With the world moving so fast to be on the right side all the time, uh, you're going to be smarter than me. Yeah. So probably in summary, I think there's a really key point we need to hit home. I mean, you, you, you mentioned recession a couple of times. That, that's a word that by definition will put fear in investors' hearts. Yep. Yep, it will. Yep. Um, so a typical drawdown in a recession is a 25% um, 25% drawdown. You know, you get a nasty recession like COVID or um, 2008. It was, it was a lot a lot deeper than that. Yep. Um, I don't think the next US recession will be anything like that. I think it'll be um, a shallow recession just on, on demand slowdown. Um, so thinking there's a 25% drawdown um, at some point over the next year, that's not impossible and not unreasonable. Um, as we said, we've already started the drawdown. We're, we're probably down, um, I think it's about eight or 9% today. Mm-hmm. Um, so that means that there might be 15% downside in the US markets um, if I'm right with that prediction. Of course I could be wrong and it doesn't materialize in markets rally from here and, and keep going and I'll look like a deal. Um, I can't be certain that probability is not a 90% recession probability. It's probably more like a 60 to mm-hmm. 65%. Um, so I did say I thought Australia would probably fare better though. Mm-hmm. So um, it's not to try and be perfect. If, if Because US equities have done so well over the last five years, if a client has probably got a little bit heavy what I'm probably doing is just trimming a little bit and getting more assets into Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, the other good thing about the Aussie assets is typically the dividend yields are better. So you get paid while you wait in a still relatively low rate world. Mm-hmm. Um, so probably I'd prefer my exposure to be Aussie at the moment, um, but those really high quality US growth stocks um, I still think they'll do really well with a five-year view. So not panicking and liquidating um, everything, uh, just some of the stuff we hold, you know, might find it a little bit difficult in the in the short term. And that is diversification at the end of the day because I, I actually don't know the future for sure. Yes, you, you talked about before about, you know, when you were studying, I mean, you always are, we always are, but, uh, you know, right back when you were learning, all the way back then, it was still fundamentals of... Long time horizon, five years. Yeah. and I mean, if we look at the other end of the spectrum, um, the part that's not much fun is the bond market, right? Mm. And, um, you know, our bond and fixed income funds are meant to be the safe, boring income players. Well, they have had the worst start to a year in about 50 years, right? Mm. Um, mark to market, they're down about 10%. So just as bad as the US stock market, probably worse than the Australian stock market. And the coupons are only sort of 2 3% to start with. So... Um, that's a pretty horrific start to the year. And what um, some clients are, are doing is they're saying, oh, well, rates are going to keep going up. So these things are going to keep going down. It's going to get a lot worse. Um, so I actually don't share that view because of that outlook I, I see in the next six months, right? Um, everyone thinks, you know, when they did QE, um, it makes rates go lower, right? Um, no, when they start QE, it's because you're in recession. 
rates already got crushed. They 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 drop rates to zero. Um, so QE doesn't make the rates go lower. Now that we're going to go into QT and tighten and reverse it, people are thinking, "Oh, this is going to make rates go um, higher." My my point is, it's probably already at the peak of the rates rising right now, or if not, we're close to it. And you're going to roll over and see the slowdown because of QT, which means they have to drop the yields again. Um, so it's actually inverse of whatever. I was just going to say, so QE QT is not the leading indicator. No, no, no. It's actually the other way around. So um, if we do get a slowdown, those um, longer term rates where people's invested in bonds, um, that probably turns around. So we, it, it, they get their capital back, mark to market. Of course, if you hold the asset to maturity, it doesn't matter, but you know you see it in portfolios. So you probably it's too late to make a change there if you've you know, got some yucky bond funds. The time will be to get rid of them is if I'm right and the slowdown transpires and we're in recession, that's when you then rotate. Yeah. Okay, now we've run long here. Uh, having said that though, there are some things I think we do need to unpack a little bit that we, we just talked about. Um, I think it's really important. So um, talked about potentially, you know, I said before, recession is a really scary word for an investor, for advisors, for anyone. Talked about, you know, 25% downturns, the average downturn, downturn at the moment, um, yeah, roughly, roughly. That means there's, let's just say, you know, potentially another 15 to go. When you say that, it's kind of like, oh, well, there's another 15 to go. That's, that's, that's a lot. Hmm. But for context, what was the what was the scale of the drawdown on U.S. market, Australian market, whatever you want to talk about? What was the what was the range um, of drawdown during COVID? Uh, it was about forty percent. Was the yeah. was the drawdown, and it happened in about three weeks. Indeed. Now, obviously, that was horrible. It was horrible to live through. You know, talking about oh, there could be another fifteen downside because of you know the nature of of where we're at right now, the cycle. Obviously, that's horrible. But in the context of, I think, the great comment that your, your client made the other day about having we had a good for so long, mm. yep, and that is the long-term smoothing effect of taking that view yep, yep. rather than just an isolated moment. Yeah, that, that, that's right. And people might be saying, like, you, you're making light of a potential 15% drawdown, right? Not at all. Um and I'll say potential, I don't know for sure. Of course. If I knew for certain, well, then it would have been an easy decision. I'd, I'd sell everybody because I could predict the future, which I can't. Um, but if we do have a 15% drawdown at some point over the next six months, um, that doesn't mean my next five years return will be, will be bad. Um, in fact, when you understand that's just part of a market cycle and that volatility is just the price of admission to get a higher return than cash. Yes. Um, what we did, and we did it at COVID on the margin, is you buy cheaper assets because they won't be permanently priced that way. Like, um, this is the thing about public markets. People think they're so smart. Public markets are stupid. Mm. Um, they are stupid. So if we get an opportunity uh, where things do draw down, um, that's when we would rotate some of those boring things that we've got into those assets. Um, obviously, lots of cash, uh, our fixed income, put it to work, and over the next two or three years, hopefully, you make it back. The best um, cause for high future returns is low entry prices. Mm. Um, so 
I don't fear that drawdown. They're temporary. If you look at mark, markets go up about 82, 83% of the time and they're going down about 17. So yep. it pays to be invested most of the time and not take absolute calls. Um, it's going to happen. Um, but do I think this is the big one? I've heard some people say, hey, there's a real big nasty one coming. Uh, I don't think so. I think business is doing quite well from the COVID bounce. The whole reason we're going to have a slowdown is it's going to be manufactured by the policymakers just to break inflation. Mm. That's going to, they're going to go a little bit too far uh, and it'll be shallow and then they'll correct it and we'll, we'll move on. So I'm still reasonably optimistic on the next three years. I just think we've got a little tricky, tricky patch to get through. But that's that point about we, we work in fundamentals. Mm. Sometimes the market doesn't work in fundamentals. Yeah, yeah. it works in irrationality. Yeah. Um, and that's the part where you, you, you know, you can't get it, you can't get it perfectly right. You know, there's one thing in all of that. There's one asset, asset class that underperforms during a, a, an increasing inflationary period, isn't there? Mm. That's cash. Of Holding course. too much cash for too long. So, um, you know, some people are holding a little bit more because the, the future is uncertain at the moment. But there'll be a point where you've got to go. You can't read it too long. Even though the front pages will right. be saying it's doom, it's gloom, sensationalism, all those sorts of things, that's the time. That, that's exactly right. You should be uh, you should be paying less. Very good. All right. Well, um, we've definitely run long there. Um, people may or may not know this about us. We could happily sit here for the next three or three hours or so and talk about geopolitics, uh, possibly even the inverted yield curve for a little while as well. But I think we should do the right thing and uh, finish the podcast mm. off here for, for our listeners. Thanks, guys. Sorry to uh, keep you so long. And maybe what we'll try and do is get back on here again in, in a few weeks and not quite leave it six weeks, given how fast things are moving and see how some of these um, thoughts are progressing. Absolutely. Um, we did obviously squeeze the uh, the new podcast series Pivot in there, the first episode of that, which was with Simon Costa, which I, you know, I had some really lovely feedback from people around Simon himself legend. and Simon's story. Yeah, what a legend. Mm. Um, just an just an amazing man, um, humble humanitarians. The, the the phrase I keep using. Um, if anyone hasn't listened to that, it, it definitely is a long podcast. It's a bit over an hour, but uh, it, it is well worth your time for to to hear the story of this man, the work he's done, and mm. uh, the difference he's making in the world. Mm. Uh, we have another couple of uh, pivot podcasts line up. Um, mm. They will probably be in May for the next one. Mm. Um, but as always, we uh, we are very happy to hear any feedback about the podcast. Yeah. We really appreciate it. Um, thank you to everyone for listening. As always, um, the entire team at Life Wealth Accounting. Financial planning, the advisors are available to, to chat at any time. And uh, as always, um, thank you for continuing to listen to us and thank you for continuing to work with us. Thanks. Bye. Bye. The information in this podcast is intended to be general in nature and does not take into account your personal situation. Therefore, it does not constitute and is not intended to be financial services advice. You should consider whether the information is appropriate to your needs and where appropriate, seek professional personal advice from your financial advisor.